Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, and Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe, on your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Horn. Second hour of Light the Tower on the Horn as we come away from the UT campus, uh, awaiting uh, the start of uh, Steve Sarkeesian's uh, final regular season in-season news conference. That'll be coming up here from the UT campus here in just a few moments. Also coming up this hour, we'll uh, have our Flex 30 update. We'll have the schedule of uh, all the games that'll be going on involving area high school football program so we'll have that coming up we'll have another longhorn notebook coming up this hour where we're basically recapping uh, the things that sark has talked about or will talk about coming up in the news conference here it'll be interesting to hear some of his thoughts on uh, uh, as jeff pointed out the uh, bowl practices and how those would be structured as well um, it, you know it, nothing is official yet and won't be official until after the conference championship games are played on Saturday. Probably a word will start leaking out by then, but it'll all get official on Sunday as to the bowl destinations. But it's pretty much generally given that the Longhorns would be playing in the Alamo Dome, uh, in the Alamo Bowl, in the Alamo Dome, uh, against a Pac-12 conference opponent. We'll find out more, obviously, uh, we may hear a little more leaking out about that. And some of that also as it relates to Texas and the, an opponent in the Alamo Bowl would be uh, impacted and affected by what happens in the Pac-12 championship game this week. So uh, that's something to keep in mind as well. All right, so there's uh, the setting it out for you there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be ready for Coach Sark's uh, last in-season weekly regular season news conference here on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Real Texans are genius. Bud Light salutes you, overly dedicated Texas Longhorn fan. How come? You show up to every UT football, basketball, baseball. This is Light the Tower on the Horn. Craig Way, Jeff Howe with you, and we're now ready for 
the weekly news conference with uh, Longhorns head football coach Steve Sarkeesian, who uh, just has entered the room, and he'll give the recap of the regular season and thoughts on the upcoming uh, bowl practices leading up to whatever bowl game the Longhorns will be participating in. So uh, without further ado, we'll go to the podium for the head coach. All righty. <clears throat> um, well, I think just a quick recap of Friday. One, um, you know, I thought it was exactly what we were hoping for for our seniors, a great kind of lasting memory of their last time playing at DKR. It was a heck of a win against a good team. Uh, can't thank the fans enough uh, for, for providing that support um, like they did all year. I, I thought DKR was rocking uh, from our first home game all the way through. Uh, I thought the the energy that the everybody provided and the support they provided definitely uh, definitely showed. You know that I talked about it after the game, but um, I thought resiliency was the key to the drill um, in game Friday and just our ability to kind of overcome some of the adversity we faced, some of which was self inflicted, some of it Baylor provided. Um, but in the end, um, I know we've talked a lot over the last two years about our ability to play in the second half of games. And I thought the way we played in the second half uh, in all three phases, you know, really, really came through with flying colors, you know, defensively really to shut them out. You know, the offense gave up the, the eight points there with the, you know, with the sack fumble, then, then the two point conversion. Um, but I thought we played really good defense. We ran the ball well. Uh, and in the end, that's that's what it takes in the second half. You know, you you know, and I think that was kind of a microcosm of our season. When you look at it, you know, we ran the ball very effectively this year. Uh, we played very good rush defense this year, and it showed up in the second half of the game when when we needed it most. And then ultimately, you know, came down to a big time turnover uh, in the fourth quarter by Jalen Ford, which. Six straight games now for the guy of creating a turnover, which is a phenomenal stat for a linebacker. For his fourth interception of the year, I don't, I don't think anybody's done it better than him uh, on that front. And then Demarvion forcing the pressure on the last fourth down, which he's done, you know, throughout the season. So, all in all, um, great effort running the ball by Bijan, by Roshan, by the offensive line. Um, nice job playing defense. Nice job covering kicks against an explosive um, kick return team. Um, and in the end, you know, I think there's a lot for this team to be proud of coming through it. Um, somebody just told me a stat. This is the second time, I think, in the last nine years, Texas has won eight regular season games. So we're, we're moving in the right direction comparatively of where we were a year ago. Um, it's natural to look at a couple of the ball games and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda, and what this thing would look like now. Um, but in the end, it's, man, we, we've got to look at, areas for where we did grow and be proud of that and then also look at the areas for where we can improve uh, and moving forward. So we'll find out our fate uh, as it pertains to um, the bowl game. Um, I think we've got a good plan for that in some recovery, um, obviously academics here for the next couple of weeks of, of how important that is as we close out the semester uh, and then get ourselves to play in the bowl game and what that all is going to look like. So there's a lot of moving parts here this month. Uh, but in the end, you know, keeping the keeping the focus on what this team has accomplished and what some of these players have has, has accomplished, I'm I'm proud of them for that. So that's it. Steve, you mentioned running the ball and run defense were two of the real positives. Are there two any surprises uh, that you felt really pleasantly came through that maybe you didn't expect and 
any certain area you were most disappointed in? Um, you know, we, we had, a, we had you know, like every year you go into a season, you have some unknowns. You know, the kicking game is a little bit of a mystery. You know, when you lose Dicker and all that he meant to us, you know, he was doing all three, which when you lose one guy, you don't think you're going to lose it as it affects you so much. And, you know, we had unknowns with kickoffs. We had unknowns on field goals. We had unknowns in the, with our punt team, um, with who was going to do what. Um, and I thought those guys performed really admirably for us, you know, that, that you know, whether it's Burt Auburn in, with his field goals, whether it was Will Stone with his kickoffs, um, you know, I thought those two guys definitely performed very well for freshmen. You know, one true freshman, one redshirt freshman, I thought they performed well. I don't think I could have asked for more of them than we got, un unknowing what was going to happen. And then having Danny come in and punt, um, as a transfer that really showed up in training camp uh, and do the job that he did. Those, those, I think that was probably the surprise uh, because I just didn't know. Uh, and it was a little uneasy, um, but we found our way through it, and I thought Coach Banks did a great job with those guys. Um, and then I think up front on the offensive line, you know, anytime you go into a season and you're starting two true freshmen on your offensive line, a true sophomore, and the first guy in is another true freshman, I mean, we saw it with, Saturday with you know, Friday with DJ Campbell coming in the game and we saw his development this year. Um, you know, not not that it was a surprise that those guys could could run block the way that they did, um, but it's still there's some uncertainty there. You know, I mean, not many teams do that going into a season and then perform the way that they did. Um, you know, naturally, for me, um, I'd probably say two areas where I, I want us to really improve upon that I, I know we can be better is obviously the passing game, you know, and there's a lot of layers to the passing game. You know, Saturday I thought there were some things there and Quinn was throwing it good. We didn't protect very good. There's been other games we've protected great and we haven't thrown the ball very good. There's been other games we've done those two things. We haven't caught the ball very good. So inevitably the passing game, um, like the running game, it takes all 11 and it takes precision and execution. That's an area where I know we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time on and, and cleaning that up. I think third down conversions play a part to that. You know, We were not nearly as good on third down this year as we've been historically, uh, systematically, and it definitely compared to last year. So. To extend drives, to stay on the field, we need to be better on third down. Um, and then ultimately on on defense, as good as we play, we play really good. And I'm so proud of these guys for the the, the leaps and bounds they've made. You know, just statistically, when you look at last year's stats to this year's stats, how far they've come. I think we can look back at games and say, man, just don't cut that guy loose on that one route, and that's 50 more yards that maybe we would get back in, in a touchdown that kind of has reared its ugly head a little bit. So, again, just that communication in the back end. So uh, those are all high-level things. I mean, we haven't drilled down hard enough into all the particulars on a lot of these things, but just some high-level things that come to mind. Steve, as we head into the portal season, um, how big of a concern is it that with NIL you have some – players on your team like your offensive linemen who are assured 50 grand from the pancake factory and you might have other proven starters who aren't receiving much if any nil money at all and how do you remedy that yeah i mean i think nowadays you know the ncaa i thought has done a nice job of trying to operate from an nil perspective of what this looks like you know and obviously we started 
Texas One Fund here and in, in CDC and in the, the university has done that. So, yeah, there's going to be some things that we have to look at um, to make sure that the the players are, are getting kind of, I don't want to say what they deserve, but in reality is you don't want that discrepancy on your roster. You want people – you know, having the opportunity to to do those things, and so we're we're on that. I've started on that this morning. Um, I didn't feel like it would be fair to drill down way into that in season as we were playing in the regular season. But now we have a little bit of time um, because it's a reality. You know, as you guys know, I've I've said this all along. NIL is not going anywhere. It's a reality. What are the parameters they put around it is where we need to operate within. Um, and so those are things that we have to look at. It's a, it's a new era of college football. The transfer portal, NIL, things of that nature are all areas that, that we have to adapt to. Um, and I think that we've got a, we've got a creative group of people that we, that we work with. Um, again, we take a lot of pride in what this university stands for and how we go about it and the support that we get. We just got to make sure that we do it the right way. And um, that's, that's, the, that's the plan kind of moving forward on that. Uh, Steve, going back to the passing game, how would you grade your receivers this year? And is that an area that you feel you need to address with recruiting or the portal this offseason? Well, you know, I think, one, we, we, my opinion, we have arguably the best receiver in our conference. I, I think so. I mean, he led the, you know, Xavier led the conference in touchdown receptions again for the second year in a row. He's caught 21 touchdown catches. He had another nine this year. Um, so to me, you know, we, we've got an elite player there. I thought Jordan had a really good year. Um, stayed healthy, you know, as healthy as he could for, for the first time of his career, uh, which was a positive. I thought the, the influx of the tight end of utilizing JT, you know, getting a lot more receptions than the tight end got a year ago. But again, we need the depth of that room to be stronger. You know, that, that third wideout has got to come on. Um, we got to make sure that, that we're versatile enough of, of threatening people to where one guy's not getting doubled. One guy's not getting all these intricate coverages, uh, and we can't, and we're not hurting people somewhere else. And so, um, like I said, we're, we got to dive into that that entirety of the passing game of how we can improve that for the quarterback, for the offensive line, for the receivers, uh, and making sure that that that's what we're practicing to get ourselves ready a for the bowl game, and then b into next season. Uh, yeah. So you kind of touched on it, but uh, how beneficial are these extra weeks of practices? And uh, as a coach, do you use this time more for strictly bowl prep or uh, as like an opportunity to get younger guy reps? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, our first five or so practices for bowl prep will be really dedicated kind of back to, we call it a spring ball mentality or a training camp mentality. We're gonna get back to the basics on a lot of things. We're gonna reteach some fundamentals, some techniques. Uh, some general schemes um, to make sure that everybody's got a firm understanding and we can work with those players to do that. The second half of the practices for the bowl game will be more dedicated to the actual game planning. I think one mistake you can make is do all the work on the game and then the players, I don't want to say get bored, but it's the monotony of the same stuff for for two to three weeks of and then they finally play the game. I think you have to keep it fresh this time of year. Um, so we'll We'll put forth some work um, on some of the developmental stuff, some of the developmental players, some of the reteaching of concepts and schemes, uh, and then we'll shift towards actual game planning as as we start getting closer to the ball game. On your right, Joe. 
Are there any positions right now that you know that you're going to look to address via the transfer portal? I mean, this day and age with the portal, you kind of got to look at everything. I mean, because I don't know what's going to happen with our own team. Um, I don't know who's going in the portal. Um, you just you kind of have to take it day by day, quite frankly. I, I don't think that you can say we need that. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I'm going to meet with every player this week um, and, and try to figure out where everybody's at and what their intentions are. And that'll dictate a lot of kind of the direction we need to go in. I'm guessing you've watched games that affect you that you're helpless watching. What was what was it like Saturday night for you? What were the emotions of, of that that feeling of K you kinda hung in there for a while? Uh, mixed emotions of you know hard to watch somebody else, hard to root <laughs> as a fan, as I jokingly said, you know, hard to think back, you, you think about other games of, man, we shouldn't be in this position. But I think it was a lesson learned for us. Um, you never, you never want to put your fate in somebody else's hands. You know, you, you want to control your own fate. And, and we didn't do that, you know, and inevitably we got put in that position, but we did it to ourselves. And, and we have to acknowledge that. We have to recognize that. And we have to accept that responsibility. And so moving forward, as a program, um, we need to ensure that we don't put our fate in somebody else's hands. That's the biggest thing I came out of Saturday night when that game was done. Um, we don't want to be in that position again. And to do that, we got to handle our business in September and October and then into November. you got to handle your business one week at a time so you don't put yourself in that position. Hey, Steve. Um, in the old days, you know, this was prime recruiting time, and but now you got to earmark time for the portal discussions and – NIL, um, how has that changed the game for you? And um, is it as fun or is it more taxing? Um, well, I think everything is different. You know, I mean, I think back to my summer. <laughs> you know, we do so much recruiting now in June of uh, official visits and players being on campus. And then, you know, you get commitments. And I feel like sometimes a guy commits to you, you have to recruit him even harder. Uh, because everyone's going to come after those same players that are committed to you. Um, so we're, we're still going to recruit hard in the month of December. Um, we recognize the early signing period, uh, but that doesn't mean other people aren't still trying to get guys on visits and those types of things. So we've got, we've got to close well in December. I do think um, it has created a little bit of a, I'm going to call it a, a free agency period like you would have in the NFL. You know, it's like, you know, how are you, you have to assess your own roster as we kind of talked about earlier. And then what are the needs and, and what's a specific need and what's that would, what's a luxury? <laughs> you know, there's a difference between a want and a need. And I think we have to acknowledge that on our roster. Uh, but then also we can't discount the development of our own players. You know, we've got a lot of good young players on our roster that maybe weren't frontline players this year, but with another you know, extra bowl practice time, another off-season conditioning program, another spring practice, another summer workout schedule. You know, what can they be? And will they be better than what maybe somebody else has? And, and we're a lot like the players, right? You know, sometimes the grass appears greener on the other side or the player appears better until they get in your program. You're like, well, hey, the guy at that position that we already have is as good or better than that guy. And now you end up with a, I refer to them as disgruntled employees, 
you know, because the guy thinks he's coming here to be a frontline starter and he got beat out. So we've got to be very transparent, open, and honest with the kids that decide to come here, uh, that this program is based on competition um, and the best players are going to play that give the team the best chance to win. Uh, but it is fun because I think it, it does. It gives you a little bit of that NFL feel of, of kind of what are you doing to bolster your roster and how do you maintain your current roster um, to build your program the right way to continue to have the growth and development that I think we showed from year one to year two. And then how do we go from year two to year three? How do we continue to grow as a program? Sark, I don't know if it's come up yet with any of your guys, but how do you handle you know, guys that might decide it's best for them to not play in the bowl game? And then just your general thoughts on that trend we've seen the last few years of, of yeah. guys choosing to opt out of bowl games. I think it's a reality. You know, I, don't, I hate it for them um, that it, they have to make that choice because – the reality is that's a great opportunity, man. You get to celebrate with your team. You've earned that, right? You, you've, you've done well enough in the regular season to earn the right to play in a bowl game and to have that experience. Um, and so now to get forced with a decision like that, I hate it for them because the reality is I'm, all of them deep down want to play, right? They want to play with their teammates. So now all of a sudden they're getting into, well, how could this affect me moving forward? For some guys, they should play. Right? It's an opportunity to play against a good opponent. It's an opportunity to put their film on tape one more time uh, to get evaluated by the NFL. For other guys, maybe it is in their best interest not to play. Right? There's, there's risk and reward in all this. And so I try to have candid conversations with all of them individually um, to hopefully you know, come, to, come to really good decisions. But I just, like I said, I hate it for them. I wish we could ensure everybody that if something were to happen, you'd be, you know, you'd be taken care of. Unfortunately, that's not the case you know, for every single player. You know, everybody has kind of their value as it pertains to insurance policies. And, um, but we try to do the best we can. Um, and, I, again, I appreciate the support from the university to do that. Hey, Coach, a housekeeping question and a bigger question. You had uh, maybe three guys with some eligibility uh, that uh, participated in Junior yeah. Day, uh, which was, uh, I think it was Whittington. I think Junior Angelow still has some eligibility in Devon. Have you had any conversations with them as far as what their future entails? Yeah, there's actually a few more than that. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to meet with every one of them. I started this morning, but I'll I start meeting with those guys one at a time. And... Um, Again, we, we try to make really help them make really rational decisions and not emotional ones. You know, where are they at in school? Um, you know, have they graduated? Do they want to pursue a master's? If they've already started a master's, where are they at? Um, what does their future look like here? What does their future look like somewhere else? And so, like I said, I meet with every player, um, and I love that because it, it's a chance to make that connection with a player over a four-year period of having these conversations. Um, Hopefully you build up enough equity and trust with them that they can take your word uh, for that. Um, so, yeah, it's, there's more than that of guys that potentially have eligibility, and I try to meet with them all so that they can make a really good, rational decision and feel good about it and, not, and try to remove some of the anxiety and fear of leaving or staying or whatever that looks like. And then you did mention Xavier, and, and obviously you felt like he's the best receiver, you know, in the conference. His numbers were down from last season as far as touchdowns and, and yards are concerned. And we are in this transfer portal, sure. you know, speculation era. Do you feel like he's happy, you know, here at Texas being a part of this program? Well, I think the one thing about Xavier is this. He's a highly competitive young man. And from the moment he arrived on our campus, he, um, he came to work. And he came to work to earn 
an opportunity to play. He came to work to become a starter. He came to work to be the best receiver he could be, um, whether that was in our conference, in the country. So I think the guy's got a, a high sense of competitiveness and drive to be the best. Um, and he works that way every day. And so sometimes when you don't get the actual result of it, that can become a sense of frustration. I would much rather have a receiver that's frustrated that he didn't contribute more to a win than a guy who's content of going on the field and playing and the ball not coming his way because I think he values his ability to get open. I do too. <laughs> I get it. You know. So again, addressing the passing game is going to be a critical component to what we do. But I'd be hard to argue, find a guy in his first two years of college football at the Power 5 level who's got 21 touchdown catches in two years. So he's been off to a pretty good start, but I think his best days are ahead of him. Yeah, see, this kind of relates to Chip's question from earlier, but you know, how prevalent is NIL now when you're talking to recruits and their families or maybe even guys that are considering transferring out? And then you know, is there any level of concern on your part if maybe 50, 60, 70% of that conversation is just related to NIL on their part? Well, that, that doesn't happen here. You know, we don't make that the focal point of the conversation. Um, you know, in recruiting, that's the last thing I ever want to get into um, because the reality of it is I want players that want to come to the University of Texas because of the University of Texas. Our football program, the academics, the history and tradition, the city of Austin. I mean, there's so much that this, that this university has to offer. That's why I want kids to come here. Then the NIL can be a factor. But if you're choosing to come here because of NIL, you're coming here for the wrong reasons and you'll end up not being happy. You know, money doesn't make happiness, you know. That, that's not how this works. I've, I've met too many people who have a lot of money who are depressed, life's not good, it's never good, well, let me get more money. That doesn't help anything, you know. The reality of it is got to go to a place that you really love and that you want to be part of, you want to be developed, you want the relationships, you want the connections, you want all those things because that's what matters. The NIL stuff is, is to me is a bonus. Um, but the moment you start making decisions based on money, this isn't the place for you, you know, because you're not going to get out of the experience what you, what you should. And whether it's or another school or another school, to me, that model is going to fail if that's the path that you go down. I'm selling money. It's not going to work. Like it, when the one that does work, call me and tell me about it. But it's not going to work that way. It's, it's, it's already failed in college football. And I think it'll continue to fail in college football when you watch the programs that try to operate that way. In the middle, Chip. Steve, um, everyone talks about the, the enormity of this job and with you calling plays two seasons in, how is it juggling the enormity of the job with calling plays and like how much time during the week do you spend with the quarterbacks or is that all AJ in those meetings? How do you manage it all? Yeah, I love it. I, I love what I get to do every day, man. Like I, I literally walk in my walk in our building every day with like a sense of I can't wait to get to work again. And I'm I'm so fortunate and blessed to to have this opportunity. I do not take it lightly for a second. Um, you know, you you pour into it all that you have, and I, I feel awful if I didn't, you know, so I, I give everything that I have to it, whether it's game planning, whether it's meeting with the players, whether it's installing the plays, whether it's coaching at practice, whether it's, 
you know, meeting with the defense, meeting with special teams, you know, meeting with players individually throughout the week, um, whether calling plays on game day, bouncing ideas off of coaches on the headsets during the game. Um, I eat this up, man. I, I, have, I say this all the time. I get to do what I love, and I love what I do, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Steve, I don't know if you like to just flip the page and move on quickly, but looking back, is there anything about the Tech, Oklahoma State, or TCU losses that's keeping you up at night? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, A, against TCU, I just wish we would have played better. You know, quite frankly, I wish I had done a better job of preparing ourselves to play. Uh, whether it was a psyche thing, whether it was just an execution thing, we just didn't play very good in that game, and that, that's disappointing. I would have liked us to play good football and see what would have happened. And we just didn't play great offensive football that day. Um, I think in the Tech and um, Oklahoma State games, um, you know, again, my toughest critic. I know you guys like to critique me, but I'm, I try to value myself as my toughest critic. I wish I would have found a way to run the football better in the second half in those two games, to, just to try to control the game a little bit more. Um, to where our defense wasn't playing so many snaps because I think the accumulation of the snaps they had to play in those two games caught up to us to where missed tackles became a factor in that game um, at some really critical moments defensively where I, I wish we could have controlled it a little bit more offensively in the second half to minimize some of the snaps they had to play and maybe we make a couple of those tackles that change the outcome of the game. So, um, but that, again, that's self-criticism on me. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with doing that. You know, hopefully we're better for it moving forward, which I think we were in the second half of the season. I think it showed up in the Iowa State game. I think it showed up uh, just this past weekend against Baylor where we were able to run the ball, minimize some of the snaps our defense had played. I mean, just Friday, the first half of the game, I felt like Baylor was on the field on offense the whole first half. You know, I don't know what the exact numbers were off the top of my head, but I know it was a huge discrepancy in time of possession, number of snaps. Um, and we had to get that back under control, and I thought we did. And inevitably, our defense was fresh. We held them to about 60 yards and shut them out on defense in the second half. So there's a correlation to playing complementary football that I just didn't think we did a great job of in the second half of those two games in particular. So that that's kind of doesn't keep me up at night. It just it serves as motivation for how we're going to do it better moving forward. Uh, Steve, how much are you going to study Oklahoma State and Baylor? how not to get penalties, and <laughs> will you make any complaint to the league office about that? Uh, you're not going to get me on this. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't uh, no, no fines. Um, at the end of the day, man, you play the hand you're dealt, you play the game as hard as you can play it, adversity is going to strike, you know, and things are going to come your way. You don't have time in game to um, – Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Complain. 
the next the ball is going to get snapped again in 40 seconds, and you've got to be ready for the next snap. And so that's been something that we've been trying to press upon our players and, and for me to the coaches of we've got to move on to the next snap. And we, we can't harbor you know, what just happened, whether it went our way or didn't go our way. We've got to focus on the next snap. And to me, I think that that's a sign of a maturing football team. I thought we handled it a lot better uh, on Friday when some of the calls didn't go our way. I didn't think we handled it great at Oklahoma State when some of the things didn't go our way. But I thought we handled it better Friday. We moved on to the next snap. And I thought, like I said, I thought we played pretty good football. You can write whatever you want. Sark, I know you've talked since you got here about being a good developmental program. And you had a lot of guys improve throughout the year. I was just wondering, or, is there a way you know you track the trajectory in terms of being a developmental program? Are, are you where you want to be? Are, are you behind where you want to be? Or are you ahead of where you wanted to be? Well, um, that's a that's a that's a unique question. You know, I mean, I think in the off season, it's a little easier to to quantify it with speed, right? Where are they at in in, in some of their movement based things? Um, how much they're lifting? How quickly they're moving that weight? The explosive power, things of that nature. Um, I think from a football development standpoint, it's, you know, can you track does the fundamentals and techniques? Is he using those things the right way? Or when, when we point out to a young man, here's the three to five things you need to improve on over the next six to eight weeks, did he improve on those things? To me, that, that's the only way we can, we can dive into it um, because that's when you're seeing the growth. Is he coachable? Is he trying to apply it? And then what is the result? And so um, – it's, it's hard to tell kind of midstream as, as we're going through the season, but I do think when we get back out at practice here, you know, next Friday, um, we'll see kind of the younger players and how far they've come. Like we saw it in the bye week, like a guy that stood out to me was Malik Murphy. He kind of fell behind early when he first got here in a training camp, but in the bye week, I was like, man, this guy's come a long way. So sometimes it's hard to tell especially when they're on scout team and they're doing that work because they're reading a car, they're running somebody else's offense or defense. Then you let them go back to the basics and run our stuff. And you can see like Jaden blue, I've seen, I'm like, okay, this guy's made exponential strides in where we want him to grow, not only on the field, but off the field. So those are just a couple that pop into my head early on, but I'm seeing it with guys. I think I'll see it even more in in a couple of weeks when we get back on the on the grass of, you know, whether it's a, you know, Jeray Bledsoe or a Zach Swanson. You know, I mean, there's a, a bunch of guys I could I could reference. But the point of it is, then you look at some other guys that kind of got thrown into the fire. Like Terrence Brooks got put out there. You know, in these last three weeks, he's played pretty good football. Hasn't been perfect, but it's like, man, he's such a dramatically different player than he was four months ago. So I definitely can see that. But you have to see him do it to know, are we developing him the right way? Sark, I want to give you something where you can lobby and not cost you any money. Uh, The body works in Bijan, Heisman talk, and Jalen Ford, defensive player of the year. Just kind of your thoughts on on the seasons they've had and, and what they've meant to this team. Yeah, I mean, I think I think about Bijan. Like, if we were ten and two right now, and playing for a Big Twelve championship, and maybe on the cusp of the college football playoff, I think there'd be no question this guy would be in New York for the Heisman. When you when you think about what he's accomplished, of 
you know, I think I think he's leading the country, if I'm not mistaken. I got this written down here somewhere. He's where did I, where did I put this? He's leading the country in tandem offense with 1,894 yards, number one in the country, number one in the Big 12. Um, he's got 20 total TDs on the year, which is number two in the country, number one in the Big 12. He's leading our conference in rushing with nearly 1,600 yards, fifth in the country. He's got 18 rushing TDs, which is first in our conference, fourth in the country. Like, those are staggering numbers for a guy that will he get in there or not. And the idea that, man, <laughs> it's crazy to think he's not getting the recognition he deserves, that's mind-blowing. Then you go to Jalen Ford. The guy's forced a turnover in six straight games. Six straight games he's forced a turnover, four interceptions. Uh, I think he's got over 100 tackles on the year. Um, whether it's forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, interceptions, tackles. Um, he's just doing it at a really high level, and he's doing them at critical moments in the game. One occurred in, in the fourth quarter to seal victories. Iowa State, Kansas State, Baylor. I mean, these are all critical moment plays. It, like They're not first quarter, ho-hum, first drive of the game. It's when the game is on the line, this guy's playing his best football. So, hey, I don't. I don't know the criteria for voting on who gets voted for what. I know we got two of the best players in the country on our team, and they had great years. Last one, uh, Coach, um, just uh, Cole Hudson, could you give us a, an update yeah. on him? It, and then the other last one I was flat is Isaiah Nayor. I'm just kind of curious as to what is his timetable, how's his recovery going, yeah. and when, when we can see him back. So uh, Cole's got an ankle sprain. Um, you know, as you guys know, sometimes they take longer than others, but I anticipate having him back ready to go for the bowl game. Uh, Isaiah has done a nice job with his kind of recovery. Um, you think about the timetable of just, you know, simple math of what does nine months look like out. He should put himself in good position to get himself ready for next season, and we got high expectations for him. He's got a great work ethic, great drive. Um, do I think he could have helped us this year? For sure. Um, but that's part of football. Sometimes things happen. So um, I think, you know, he's he's doing the things necessary for him to get himself back in shape to be the player of, that he's capable of being and why he came to the University of Texas. Not yet, no. Alrighty, y'all. Thank you. All right, there it is. Uh, Coach Sark's uh, final in-season uh, weekly news conference there talking about uh, bowl practices and uh, injuries and uh, NIL, among other topics. Jeff and I will get to the end of that on the Longhorn Notebook coming up. We'll have our Flex 30 update coming up next when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Real Texans are genius. Bud Light salutes you, overly dedicated Texas Longhorn fan. How come? You show up to every UT football, basketball, baseball, volleyball, and ball-related sport there is. Ping pong. Each game, you slather your entire body in burnt orange. Every nook and cranny. Yes, you're brewed in Texas, and so is your Bud Light. Enjoy responsibly. Texas edition Bud Light beer cans. Anheuser-Busch, Houston, Texas. This holiday season, Diamonds Direct gives you the Longhorn Notebook. It is time for the Longhorn Notebook, presented by Aaron Bowersock. 
the home loan expert. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. Jeff Howe, your impressions of the Sark Presser? Kind of an all-encompassing deal. Uh, I got a little bit on the transfer portal, on NIL. I got my two questions in about, you know, guys, just Sark's thoughts on guys opting out of bowl games, and that's something Texas Mm -hmm. is going to have to deal with in the coming week when he has conversations everybody on the roster uh, and then i think player development i think that's a big thing about bowl practices is guys getting better sark said they'll start practice next friday and they'll get a really good judge of, of who's improved when guys are no longer on a scout team now they're running you know the texas offense and the texas defense so he mentioned malik murphy and Jaden mm-hmm. blue jerry bledsoe some of the same guys he's mentioned before and, uh, especially Jaden blue because of what the attrition we expect at the running back position that's a guy you're going to need at spring ball to step up and see if he can handle a, a much bigger workload yeah, yeah, and no question about that. All right, so uh, you know that's uh, now now it gets on to those next things. Um, you know, they they like you said, those who are going to practice, those who are going to opt out. Uh, and I thought it was interesting when he talked about the first five practices, kind of a, a throwback to the spring and fundamentals and things like that before they get into yeah. the actual meat and potatoes of preparing for an opponent. One real quick thing about the bowl game. I saw USA Today had a bowl projection of Texas Tech going to the Alamo Bowl. I guess if the Alamo Bowl wanted to take Tech, they could. They do have the first pick of non-CFP, non-New Year's Six Big 12 teams. Yeah. It's possible the Alamo Bowl passes on Texas. Okay. So – all right, we'll see. Uh, and and I don't think that happens, but yeah, we'll right, see. right, exactly. Okay, all right. Uh, we'll be back in house tomorrow. Thanks so much uh, to our producer Snoop Daniel back in the studio now for Jeff Howe. I'm Craig Wade. Invite you to stay tuned. Chad and Zay up next. We'll visit with you tomorrow morning, ten o'clock, right here on Light the Tower on the Horn. <laughs>